This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Today's message is one we all need to hear. It's positive, it's hopeful, it's about a party. So let's read about it. John chapter two, starting in verse one. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, So they filled them to the brim. And then Jesus told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. I'm sure there are more than a few of you watching who are party people. You look for a reason to party. Could be a birthday, anniversary, holiday, Maybe a party that celebrates the fact you can get out of your house and go wherever you want to go. You're party people. Now, I know there's a couple of things that go into this party type of atmosphere. Number one is there's a lot of work involved. There's a lot of work involved. The bigger the party, the more work that you have to put into it to get ready for it. The second, though, is that there's a lot of anticipation, usually, around parties. You build it up. You... Look forward to it. You build anticipation over it. We're going to see that these two characteristics are true of Jesus. The passage of scripture we're looking at today, Jesus will show us the amount of work he's going to go to to put on a party and we're going to see him create anticipation over that party. He creates anticipation over an event that Christians ought to look forward to each day. So we're gonna look at in this passage three things. What he offers, how he makes it possible, and how we can receive it. What Jesus offers, how he makes it possible, and how we can receive it. First, what Jesus offers Jesus, his mother Mary, the disciples are attending a wedding and weddings in that day, we have to understand, were a much bigger um, celebration than they are today. It was really uh, a wedding festival. The average wedding festival or the wedding celebration would last about seven days. 
And it was customary for the groom to supply all the necessities for that celebration, including the wine. Now, as the celebration is unfolding, a problem arises. They run, out of, they run out of wine. Now, to our eyes, that might not seem like a big deal, but in those days, that was a very bad thing. That culture was a shame culture. That is, there were certain cultural criteria that needed to be met in order to avoid bringing shame and embarrassment upon you and your family. Running out of wine at a wedding festival was a bona fide social crisis, it would have been a deal breaker. It's, it's a festival terminator. It would have brought this party to a grinding halt. But Jesus steps in and performs his first miracle. So let's imagine for a minute, let's imagine being the group of people to whom John first writes this gospel. He's writing this for you and the church that you're a part of. The manuscripts arrive And one Sunday morning, the leaders of the church begin to read the gospel of John out loud to you. And for the first time, you begin to hear more details about this person, Jesus, that so many people have told you about. So what would your impressions be that the very first miracle Jesus performs is providing additional wine for a wedding festival? First impressions are and have always been important. So what does it say that Jesus chooses as his first miracle not to raise a dead man to life, not to heal a woman plagued with some physical ailment or to feed 5,000 people? What does it say that Jesus chooses as his first miracle to spend his divine power solving a catering crisis? Well, when Jesus speaks and acts, so often there are multiple layers of meaning to what he's saying and doing. So for example, in the previous chapter, John chapter one, we've got these verses. The next day, John was there again in two of his, with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Now, on one level, Jesus is saying, come with me and you'll see where I'm staying. But that's hardly the extent of what Jesus means by this. There's another level in which Jesus is saying to them, come, follow me, and you will find out a whole lot more about who I am and what I've come to do. So in solving the problem of a wine shortage, on the one level, Jesus is saying, I want this wedding festival to continue. He's no party pooper. He is pro-party. On another level, Jesus is saying, one day, I'm gonna bring about another party. I'm gonna bring about another wedding festival, a wedding festival of proportions no man or woman has ever seen. Well, how do you know that's the deeper meaning here? Well, it has to do with the wine. We need to ask ourselves a question. Why a shortage of wine at this wedding festival? Why not a shortage of bread or fish? The shortage of wine is not by chance. Nothing is with God. So what's the significance of the wine? Well, in order for us to understand that, we have to look back into the Old Testament. What are the ways in which the Old Testament describes wine? Well, let's read a few. Joel chapter three. Verses 17 and 18. 
Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day, the mountains will drip with new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. So the day God's describing here, is it a day of blessing or judgment? Blessing or judgment, what do you think? How about Amos chapter nine, verses 13 through 15? The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. I will bring back my exiled people. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Again, think about it. Is that blessing or is that judgment? One more, Isaiah chapter 25 On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Again, blessing or judgment. It's pretty clear, isn't it? So by providing additional wine for this wedding celebration, Jesus is saying one day he's going to bring about a time of great rejoicing. That's what all these passages are about. They're very futuristic. He's talking about a future party, a cosmic party. He's going to bring about a great celebration, a grandiose festival. So what he offers is an opportunity to enjoy a great party that will never end. Jesus is not a party pooper. He's pro-party. He's a party waiting to happen. As a brief aside, when we're able to gather again normally on Sunday mornings, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a party. It's going to be called the Back to Church Bash. And we're already planning it. This is what he offers. Second, how he makes it possible. Now, Mary knows, she's familiar with what's happening. She knows that this is an embarrassing moment for the groom. She knows this is embarrassing for the groom and his family. So she takes it upon herself to notify Jesus of the crisis. Jesus' interaction with Mary is very interesting. First of all, Jesus addresses Mary as woman. To modern ears, that sounds very insulting. Probably not as insulting in the ancient world, but still odd that Jesus would address his mom this way. Now combine this with the following comment Jesus makes to her, leaves little room uh, for doubt that what has happened here, Jesus has just rebuked his mom. And after doing so, Jesus makes a comment. He says, my time has not yet come. Or literally, my hour has not yet come. As we've seen in the past, every reference to the word hour in John's gospel especially is always a reference to his death. So imagine you're Mary. You've just discovered the groom has run out of wine. This is a disaster. You know a bit about your son. You know more than most of what he's capable of. So you tell him what's going on and he turns to you and says, my hour hasn't come yet. How do you respond to that? Your hour hasn't come yet? What does that mean? What does it even mean? What does that have to do with the shortage of wine? Jesus' statement is cryptic. It's 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 enigmatic. It can't mean the hour for him to perform a miracle hasn't come yet. 
It can't mean that. Uh, because he's about to do it. It can't mean that. So what does the statement mean? Well, it has to do with the second manner in which wine is described in the Bible. Jeremiah 25, verse 15. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. So what Jesus desires to bring about is festival joy, a celebration of cosmic proportions. But what's it gonna take to make that happen? Jesus is gonna receive the full force of God's wrath intended for us. Now Jesus is a 30-year-old single man attending a wedding. If you're 30 30 years old and you're single and you're attending a wedding, maybe, just maybe, uh, at some point you think about your own wedding. Maybe Jesus is thinking about his wedding. But the wedding he's thinking about is not an ordinary wedding. The wedding that Jesus would be thinking about is the one described in Revelation chapter 21. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's the wedding Jesus must be thinking about. Now, of course, before Revelation 21-2 can ever happen, Jesus must drink from the cup of God's wrath. The only way Jesus marries his bride is if he pays the price for it. But that's what he's doing on the cross. The cross is the ultimate price tag for the ultimate celebration. Think about it, party people. If you put on a party, the bigger the party, the the more the cost to you, right? Bigger the party, the higher the cost. The bigger the party, the more food you have to have. Uh, the, the, The more money you have to spend, the more time you have to exhaust getting ready for it. And how about cleanup? (laughs) If you put on a big party, there's a cost to you. The bigger the party, the more money, the time and energy you have to expend in order to make it happen. Jesus is talking about a cosmic party. A celebration that makes New Year's Eve at Times Square look at your grandpa's 80th birthday party. But parties don't happen without a cost. This is the ultimate party, which means There is an ultimate cost involved. Jesus on a cross makes this party possible. And that's what it takes for him to offer it. So let's look at one more thing because everything rides on this last question. It ought to be a question that every one of us is asking actually. And that is, how do I get invited to the party? I want to be part of this. How do I get invited? Jesus orders six jars, typically used for ceremonial washing, to be filled with water. So the servants obey and they fill the jars with water. And then Jesus instructs them to bring those vessels over to the master of the banquet. To bring that wine over to the master of the banquet. Now who is this guy? Well the master of the banquet probably something like the head waiter or the or wedding planner, wedding coordinator type of person. He's responsible to make sure the wedding reception, the wedding festival is executed flawlessly. 
He's got an important role and is a distinguished person at this wedding. Now here's the question. Why does Jesus want the master of the banquet to taste the newly, miraculously created wine? Why doesn't Jesus have the jars filled with water, turn into wine, and go put them on the beverage table? Why draw attention to it? Look again at how the scene unfolds, starting in verse 7. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim, and then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. So why does Jesus want the master of the banquet to taste the wine? Because he wants the master of the banquet to be impressed with the groom. He wants the groom's shame to be turned into honor. The master of the banquet is in awe of the groom's wine. This is the gospel. This is how we get to be part of the celebration. Jesus does the work, we get the credit. Jesus wants the Father to be impressed with his bride, the church. Well, how does he make that happen? The cross. Jesus does the work. By faith only will you get the credit. You will be part of the celebration. You will be part of the festival. Only if at some point in your life you have come to Jesus with an empty jar saying to him, Jesus, I'm out. I'm empty. I have nothing. All I have is is shame and guilt and embarrassment. Fill my jar. Turn it into wine so that the Father may be impressed with me. Have you done that? Have you come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I have nothing. I've got nothing. I've got nothing I can give you or show you that will be good enough to get me admitted into this party that you're one day going to throw. I've got nothing. But I know somehow you've done the work. And all it takes for me to get the credit is to trust you. And to believe you are who you say you are. So I, th- I throw myself at your feet. I, though I don't deserve it, give me the credit for the work you've done. There was a local sportscaster doing radio coverage of an Indiana high school football game from the stands. And uh, he was using a chart that listed the, the names and the numbers and the positions of the players. Uh, to help him describe the action. Uh, well, shortly into the game, it, it began to rain and the ink on his chart uh, began to run and the numbers on the backs of the players were covered with mud. For him, identifying the home players was easy because they were familiar, but, but the only familiar name on the lineup for the visiting team from Chicago was that of Blansky, a linebacker who was up for all state. Since local listeners didn't know the Chicago players and his station wasn't powerful enough to reach Chicago, the sportscaster made up the names of every Chicago player except Blansky. And since Blansky was the only legitimate name, he did his play-by-play with Blansky making most of the tackles. Well, the next day, the the Chicago coach called the the play-by-play announcer and told him that he had done a really nice job uh, covering the game, except for one thing. Blansky had broken his leg in the first half, 
And he spent the second half in the hospital listening to himself play one whale of a game. This is the gospel. And the gospel is your admission ticket into the party. By faith, we get the credit for the perfect life Jesus lived and the death he died in our place. So let me, but let me close with one, by answering one more question. The topic we've been looking at today is futuristic. It's something that's out on the horizon. And a lot of people will say, yes, that's great. I look forward to that celebration. But I have struggles now. I have disappointments now. I've got hardships now. How can I use this future party, this future festival, this future celebration, how can I use that to help me through the difficulties of present day life? Well, the Bible often uses future events to offer hope and encouragement to present day realities. And this is true here. Let me try to illustrate it for you. I want you to imagine for a minute that you're a reporter. You're a reporter and you're reporting on the feel-good story of the year. A poor family from the Midwest has won a massive estate in Malibu. Fully loaded mansion, all the bells and whistles, every nickel and dime paid for. So you go to this small Midwest town to observe, interview, and write a story about this event. The family loads up their vehicle with, mostly with possessions that are of sentimental value to them, and they begin their trek across the country to their new home. You're there with them every mile of the way. One mile, one mile away from their new Malibu paradise, their truck breaks down. They're forced to walk the rest of the way. And as they file out of the truck, something happens. This family begins blubbering to each other, saying to themselves, Our vehicle is broken. Our vehicle is broken. There are tears, outrage, anxiety. What are you thinking as you watch that? Are you kidding me? You're one mile from paradise. And you're going to let this one little inconvenience suck all the joy out of it? An objective reporter, as an objective reporter, you're gonna look at this family and say, this doesn't make sense. Something's off about this. Given what awaits you just one mile ahead, the anxiety and the anger makes no sense whatsoever. Christian, given what awaits us, many of the ways we respond to the difficulties of life don't make sense. A cosmic party awaits you. A celebration of proportions no man or woman has ever seen awaits you. So your vehicle breaks down. Trouble strikes. I get it. I do. I live in that world too. 
Life is hard sometimes and we have to walk the last mile. But rather than burying your head in your chest to focus on the immediate, lift your eyes to the horizon. Just a few more steps. Just a few more steps. And all of life's troubles will be long forgotten as you stylishly put on heaven's party hat and enjoy a never-ending celebration of cosmic proportions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, fill us with awe for Christ that he would pay the ultimate price possible to give us the greatest gift possible. May that fill us with joy and each day encourage us despite whatever difficulty we may face. I pray for those here who may not fully understand the gospel. I pray, Jesus, that they would come to see you're the one who does the work. And by faith, we get the credit for it. I pray that you'd help them see that. And Father, I pray that your spirit would illumine their minds and be their teacher that they too may come to rejoice and stand in awe of Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.